Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Well, the psalmist said it is good to come into the house of the Lord. I hope that you echo that this morning, that, that you will um, experience today something that would say in your heart, wow, that was good. I'm glad I went to church today. And I'll tell you this, if the worship didn't light your fire, your wood is wet. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) Thank you, uh, Pastor Jordan and worship team. I don't think we typically really understand all that they put into uh, the few minutes that they lead us into the the presence of God through worship. But it is really one of diligence. It's one of um, sacred trust. And it's one that they take very seriously, and it shows uh, when they are able to usher us into the presence of God. So it is good to be here. It is always much easier to share the word when we have a worship service that's full of worship. Kind of interesting, a worship service that's full of worship. That probably should happen, isn't it? So I have to tell you, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, Pastor Michael uh, shared the text that he would have me to share today. As we've been going through the book of Acts, And the text that I'm going to be sharing from today, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. And I have to tell you, when I read it, I was like, well, shucks. You know, uh, I'd rather have done, you know, Acts 9, 1 through 32, but he did that and did it wonderfully last month. And so I'm reading this text, and I'm like, it's all about Peter and Peter bringing some healing. Before we read that text this morning, I I want to speak to healing because I'm actually not going to preach on it. I want to speak more to the man who brought the message and his story than that particular act that he performed. Healing is very mysterious. God chooses to heal some, and it appears that God chooses not to heal in some circumstances and situations. Of course, when I say healing, immediately we are all thinking physical healing, aren't we? I want to tell you this, that the greatest healing that we all have available to us is that of physical or spiritual healing. It is the renewing of our heart, the redemption of our spirit, the redeeming of our story and the redeeming of our life. That is the healing that first and foremost is available to us. And I don't care how much physical healing you may receive, if you are never spiritually healed and, and understand who your Savior is, then death and agony is the ultimate punishment for that. And so today, as I would just speak a little bit about healing, we recognize that healing is a part of God's redemption story. It's a big part of God's redemption story. You hear Pastor Michael say often, this is a place of, of, uh, of grace. This is a, a, a refuge of grace. And, and I was thinking more about that, and it's like, wow, we could, we could make this mistake, church. We could make this mistake that we would come in and we would just simply focus on the word refuge and the word grace, which are very critical. 
But there's more in that. And so I could look at a refuge as just a place where I go and hide or a place that I go and, and there I can just rest. There I can go and, and I can get whatever it is that I need to go back out. Last week, Pastor Michael talked about coming and then going. And so a place of refuge is a place where we can come and we can receive that that we need so we can therefore go. But I want to push into this a little further this morning, and I want to push with this point. A place of refuge must be a place where we experience redemption. It's a place where we need to experience redemption. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to talk more about that. But in Acts chapter 9, verse, uh, starting with verse 32, if you'd pull that up. I'm just going to read it right off the screen this morning. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place. This is going to be very slow if it's going to be one line at a time. And he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden. For eight years, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which is Greek for Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and he prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. This is a story of great miraculous healing. We know Peter possessed the gift of healing far more than probably anybody else in the Scripture besides Jesus himself. If you remember early on in the book of Acts, the Scripture told us that people would simply try to be in his shadow because if they could at least be in his shadow, they would be healed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't, isn't that just remarkable to think that if there was someone who was walking this world today that had such a gift of healing, that if you could just be in their presence and their shadow would fall upon you, that you would receive physical healing. Pastor Michael 
knowing the text this morning mentioned to me earlier about a sign. It's a church sign, an Episcopalian church, just south of Dunlawton on US-1. And on their sign, and I've seen it many times, um, they are advertising or announcing healing services. He says, I'm going to go just to see what's going on. Here's what I want to say about healing. Healing isn't to be preached. Healing is to be practiced. We can preach sermons on healing, but really it's the practice of receiving healing. And don't limit limit it to physical, but first focus on spiritual healing. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it profit one of us if we were to live a hundred years or, or even longer? What would that profit us if we did not receive the spiritual healing? And I love the fact that this text is centered around Peter. So when we look at the scripture this morning, and especially the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but it's somewhat daunting. When I, when I read about the, 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 the people that are in the book of Acts, it's almost like these are the all-stars, Right? You know, they're in the Hall of Fame. They made it into the Bible. Pretty significant stuff because of their life and their miracles. It can be daunting. It can be like, how can I ever identify with Peter? How could I ever identify with a Saul who would later be named Paul? How, how could I begin to identify with Peter or, or some of the others, uh, Barnabas and uh, others that we'll see in the Scripture, Philip? How could I ever identify with these people? It's difficult, if we're honest. But the reality of it is, is it's not so much what they accomplished or what we see in their lives later that we need to focus on as much as we need to look at their story. You see, we all have a story. We all have a story. They're different, but they're alike. We all have a story, and when we look in the Scripture, and we saw the early uh, story of Saul last week is Saul who was persecuting Christians. Saul who, they say in, in 8, when, when Stephen was stoned and became the first martyr of the church, Paul was standing there, and they laid their coats at his feet so they could loosen up to throw stones. And the Scripture says that Saul approved of what they were doing, which means they must have asked him if they knew he approved. You see, Saul was a religious leader and Saul was persecuting the believers. Paul had a story, or Saul had a story before his story changed and the narrative of that changed, before he experienced the refuge of grace where he was reformed by the healing power of Jesus Christ. Peter had a story. We want to focus on Peter and his text and, and how amazing it is that, that he would speak and someone would, would be healed and they would have uh, the ability to walk again. Amazingly, to think that Peter would look at the body and say, get up, Tabitha, and she gets up. That is amazing, but let's rewind a little bit. So Peter's just a common, common person, much like you and I. At this Peter, we can understand. This Peter, we can identify. This Peter was not an educated uh, scholar. This Peter was a fisherman. He was in the family business. His dad was a fisherman. And so he became a fisherman. And I'm sure he was really smart when it came to fishing. Otherwise, he would have starved to death. I'm sure that he learned the trade from his father. And so this Peter was a common person. Yet there was a, a, a redemption taking place in his life where he was being redeemed and, and he was chosen to be a disciple. And don't forget Peter. 
The one who raised Dorcas from the dead. Don't forget Peter. The one whose shadow would bring healing to people. Don't forget Peter who denied Jesus Christ three times on the night that he was betrayed. You see, that's part of Peter's story. Don't forget Peter who, who drew his sword and cut off the ear of the Roman soldier when they came to take Jesus. I've always thought what it might have looked like if he had missed the ear and got the neck. <laughs> what that might have looked like, Jesus picking up, instead of an ear, picking up a head and putting it back on a body. Because in that scripture, it tells us that Peter or Jesus took the ear and he put it back and healed the man in front of the ones who would be arresting him. You see, Peter has a story, and guess what? I have a story, and you have a story, and they're all different stories. And here's what we will find in common of all of our stories. We'll find it in Luke chapter 15. When Jesus was being criticized, Jesus was being ridiculed, Jesus was being you know, brought to the, the forefront because he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Apparently, those are synonymous in their day. He was hanging out with tax collectors. He was hanging out with, it's scripture actually says in Luke 15, 1, notorious sinners. They were known for their acts of sin. They weren't hidden sin. They were sins that were known to everyone. And here Jesus is hanging out with the worst of the worst. Those whose story had not met the redemption power of Jesus Christ yet. Yet. And as they would criticize him, here's what Jesus, here's how Jesus answered. He answered, not directly, but he answered by telling some stories. The Bible calls them parables. And in Luke chapter 15, we see the first two verses where they're, they're upset with Jesus because of who he's hanging out with, and they being the, the, the church folk. Okay? That's who was upset with them. Why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And the first story he tells is about a sheep. A shepherd had 100 sheep. And when he counted them, there were only 99. One of them was missing. And he left the 99 to go get the one. And when he got the one, he rejoiced that he had found it. And so they rejoice in heaven. Apparently, they didn't get it. Well, let me tell you another story. Let me tell you the story about the widow who lost a coin. And she swept the house, and she looked everywhere for the coin because it was lost. And then she found the coin, and she was so excited, she invited her neighbors, hey, come and rejoice with me for the coin that I had lost. I have now found it. It must have been a gold nugget, right? You would think at this point that we would be able to understand and capture what Jesus was saying, but apparently not. So Jesus said, well, I'm going to tell you another story. We know this one better. This one has more context to it. This one is not about a sheep. This one is not about a coin. This one is about you and about me and our story. It's the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. So Jesus tells the story about a man who had two sons and he had great wealth. And the youngest son said, Jesus, give me my inheritance. Not Jesus. Father, give me my inheritance. And so, for some reason, 
It, it, it works in the story. Don't practice this. He gave it to him. He gave him his inheritance. And the scripture tells us that the young son went off and he enjoyed himself until the money ran out. He squandered it. He was living the high life. He was having a good time. And now he's out of money and he needs food. He gets a job tending to some pigs. I don't think that would be a job that I would put my resume in for. But he was desperate. And he takes the job, and he was so hungry, Jesus said in this story, that he ate the food that was meant for the pigs. You see, our story is a story where we have eaten of the things of this world that bring just disgustedness into our life. It's evil. We sing of a good, good God. Your God is so good. But you know what? A good God was denied in the Garden of Eden. And evil came into this world, and so there's bad in this world. But there's a good God who's over it all. And we experience some of that. So it doesn't mean that we don't experience the bad things, but we know in this, and even in the worst of things, we have a God who sustains us. And so here is this young man who has squandered everything, and he comes to reason. He comes to his senses, the scripture says. And he says, you know... Even the lowest of my father's servants have something to eat. And he humbled himself. And he began to go back home. Thinking all alone, I would just ask my dad if I can be a hired hand because I don't deserve the position of son. And you know the story. The father sees him coming from afar, which means the father had been looking. The father had been waiting. Every day the father would look into the horizon, hoping this would be the day that his son who was lost would come back to him. And then that day came, and the father received him. Killed the fatted calf, had a great celebration. And then Jesus also talked about the other son who was upset over that. You see, that's what's happening in this story. Those are the ones who are upset with Jesus because he's hanging out with notorious sinners. I hope that sets the context for us today. That we all have a story and Jesus speaks into our stories. I love the fact that Saul had his name changed to Paul. Because it, it, it demonstrated the redemption that he had experienced in his life. He's no longer Saul of Tarsus. He now is Paul the Apostle. And for good meaning. Because if you think about it just from a marketing standpoint, you don't want to advertise that Saul, the guy who persecuted Christians, is coming. Let's talk about Paul, the guy who has given his life for Jesus, right? Four or five years ago, I was sitting with Grant Powell, who is the founder, founding principal of Master's Academy in Vero Beach, our sister church there, Pathway Church of God. And, and he, was, he had retired. And he said, I'm not yet ready for retirement, and, and I'm looking to do something. I feel like I'd like to pastor a church. And I was sitting with him and talking about a, churches that we have, and he eventually would go to Panama City and pastor the church there. But in the midst of the story and hearing a story, hey, if you ever really want 
to get to know somebody, just ask them their story. But, but listen, don't ask them if you don't want to hear it. Because here I have found this. People love to tell their story. I love to tell my story. You should love to tell your story. And my story's not done. So as we look in, 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 at this, um, Grant started talking. I said, you know, we used to have um, some pals that went to Whitechapel. In fact, um, one of them was an associate pastor at Whitechapel in the late 60s, early 70s. I barely remember it. And I really do barely just remember because I was like eight or ten years old. I said, but I, I do remember going to Sunday school with one of the pals, and he started laughing. He said, that was me. I said, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. He goes, oh, don't be. I didn't go by Grant then. I said, well, I don't remember the name Grant. He goes, I went by Bucky. I said, Bucky, you're Bucky? I haven't seen you in 40 years, Bucky. He goes, I don't go by Bucky anymore. And I asked him, what's the story? Did you not like the name? Was it too young? Was it not sophisticated enough to be the founder of a, of a Christian school? He says, no. When I went to college, he went to Anderson University, one of our, our church schools. He said, I turned my life around. He, not, he said, not that I was a terrible person. He said, but when I turned and I, and I said, I'm going to follow Jesus, I couldn't go by the word, by the name Bucky anymore. I had to go by Grant to, to signify I'm a new man in Christ. So let's mess everybody up and next week and let's rename ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's the story. That's the redemption story. You come into a, a refuge of grace so that we can experience, amongst other things, redemption. Philippians chapter 3, if we pull that text up, is, this, is the scripture that I really want us to look at because this is Paul speaking. And so we know Paul, who was Saul, had a rough background. He was a mean guy before he was redeemed. Peter had his flaws before he could bring healing. And he could do the things that he was now doing. But Paul, with all the things that he did, wrote these words. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. He says, I haven't arrived. He's not the man he once was as Saul. But even as Paul, he's saying, I'm not fully the man that I'm going to be. I'm still in process. I have not yet reached, I have not yet reached perfection. Let me tell you something about redemption. It's a progressive, lifelong journey. It's progressive, not perfection. And you need to grab that. It's progressive, and we never reach perfection, lest any of us could boast that we were saved by our own ability. So we go back to the word here, and he says, I have not reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. We're going to come back to these. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on on one, this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God is calling through Jesus Christ, who, who he is calling us to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this sermon into four words, and you'll have a sticky note. I asked um, the office if they would 
Well, the office is not a person, but I asked Pastor Michael, who probably asked someone else, to put, put posty notes or sticky notes in your, in your uh, worship folder today. And if you want to play along, play along. If you don't, well, be that way. But there's four words I want to give you, and I want you to write these on your sticky note. The first one, and, the, and what these four words are, is these are redemption repellents. You know what to repel is, right? A repellent is something that pushes away. A repellent is something that keeps us from something. And the first redemption repellent, when we come into a place of grace, is sin. Sin. You know, one thing we all have in common in our story, we all have sinned, as it says in Romans 3.23. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot experience redemption when sin is residing in your heart. And let me tell you, it's not enough just to confess. And so oftentimes, I, I have done this, and I've seen others do this in our spiritual journey of progressiveness, trying to become more like Jesus. In our spiritual journey, what we do is we confess our sins. And then we come back next week, and we confess them again. And we come back the week after that, and we confess it again. And it's the same sin that we're confessing. So here's what I want you to hear. There's a big difference between confessions and repentance. To repent is to turn from our sin. Yes, God wants us to confess our sin. And that is the first step of redemption. But at some point, we have to progress past the sin. And we have to allow the Spirit of God to redeem us in such a way that we are no longer uh, held bondage by the sin that entangles us. And we experience redemption as we repent and we turn from that sin. And again, it, it may take even a while with that. And you know what I've learned is, is, is once I've, I've overcome that, I remember the scripture that David said. And he goes, Lord, examine my heart and make sure there's nothing in me. Make sure there's no sin in me. Because oftentimes what I see is like, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. And, and, and the Spirit would say to me, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about this little thing over here or that little. You see, we, we often want to focus on the big sins, the notorious sin. But yet we will sit in this place today and sin can be in our hearts. And so long as that sin is not confessed and not repented, we can never experience the redemption of God. Saul had a very dramatic, emphatic conversion. Any of us would have experienced what, what Saul experienced on the road going to Damascus, where he was going to persecute the Christians, and a light would come down and blind you, and for three days, you pause. It's a good word, that pause word. It's, it's the same word as patience, which probably not too many of us are excited about. But for three days, he was blind, and we talked in our small group. I wonder what he was thinking about then. Well, he was thinking about what the Lord told him in a vision. First, this guy named Ananias is going to come and he's going to bring healing on you. I like Ananias' story because we don't know his story. Ananias shows up and then he's gone. I'd love to know his story. So when I get to heaven, I want to meet Ananias and I want to hear his story. Because there's a whole lot to it. A whole lot more than just being bold enough to go to Saul and, and to touch him and bring healing. But nonetheless, so, so Saul was sitting there, and the Lord, this is what the Lord told him. You now must understand how much you are going to have to suffer for my name. Woohoo! I'm glad to be a Christian today. 
You see, that was Saul's story, who would become Paul, and that would become his calling. Ananias' calling was different. Your calling, my calling, they're all different, but our story all begins in the same place. We all have sinned, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. So write sin on that card. The next word I want to give you, and they're all S's. People say, why do you do that? Well, first of all, it works, and it helps me remember. But the next one is shame. Ooh, I want to tell you, shame is one of the tools of the enemy that will oppress us and defeat us. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached a miraculous sermon. Peter could have been sitting there in shame, but he had been redeemed. Peter had been redeemed, and his failure three times in denying Christ, he wasn't living in the shame of that. Saul was no longer living in the shame that he stood there and collected the coats of those who would murder somebody. Saul had moved past that, and the shame of the enemy was defeated. But I want to tell you, one of the greatest tools the enemy uses in our life is to shame us for our past. And you've heard it said, but I'll say it again. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I've been redeemed. I have confessed and repented of that sin. And I'm not going to allow the shame of my youth or the shame of of my failures define who I am today. But let me tell you, a repellent of redemption is when we sit here in shame and we can't get past it. Paul said this, Philippians 3, forgetting the past. He said, I'm forgetting the past. I'm forgetting what I did before. I've been forgiven. Jesus, God has forgiven me. And the scripture says that our sins are as far from us as the north is from the south. If I've been forgiven and he's not reminded me of it, why am I being reminded of it? Because the enemy wants to oppress you with the shame. Now, there's a difference between shame and conviction, okay? You may experience some conviction that you need to go apologize to somebody for something. That's different. Shame is, oh, I'm a terrible person. I could never do anything for God. I could never be anyone of significance, which is your third word. You got sin, you have shame, and significance. I could, I could never be of anyone of any significance for God. Let me tell you, that's another lie of the enemy. Oh, you, you may not be called and, and asked to, to, to stand on this platform and perform something in a service. You don't have to be. And let me tell you, if it's as glorious as you may think it is, it's not. You see, all that we're called to be, regardless of who that or who we are and what that is, is ordained by God, and it's a sacred trust. He's trusted you with it. Ananias, as far as we know, had one big moment in his life, and it was to go and to lay hands upon Saul. We can go through the scriptures and we can identify. One of my favorite series I've ever done was lesser known characters in the Bible. Because it just didn't seem like their lives were all that significant. But it's telling the stories. Let me tell you something. If you begin to think that your life has no significance, you have not read the word of God. Do you know that you were created in his image? In his likeness you were created? Did you know that he did not ordain you? Do you know that he did not send his son, Jesus Christ, for you to die on the cross, to redeem us? We are significant. And if that's just to touch one person in this world in our lifetime, that's significant. If it's just to live the life that God has called us to, 
Humbly and behind the scenes, praise God, do it and do it well. But do not buy into the, the, the lie of Satan that say you have no significance. You can't do anything. It cripples the church. It cripples God's people when we live in sin and shame and, and a lack of significance of knowing our identity in Christ Jesus. I love the scripture. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And when you go back to the scripture in Philippians, Paul, or Peter, uh, uh, Paul replies in that scripture, he says something about in Jesus Christ. You see, let me tell you this, and don't miss this. When our story becomes his story, everything changes. That's when we're significant. It's not because we're gifted. Well, guess what? Anything that you're able to do, it's only by his hand. I love the stories of athletes. I love sports. I love the, the underdog stories. I love the fact that Michael Jordan was not cut from his high school team. That's kind of a myth. But he was demoted to JV. How could the greatest of all time, the GOAT, how could he have ever been cut or pushed down to a lower level? You know what? He was being developed. You know why we oftentimes have to, to go back here is because God wants to redeem our past. He wants to redeem our heart and soul and tell us we're significant. We have a significance, and it changes everything. The last one is this. And this one, I think, is very prevalent in the church. These other three all play. These are all part of our story. We had to overcome sin. Through the, the blood of Jesus. We have to defeat shame in the name of Jesus. We have to understand our significance of Jesus living in us. And I think that's a progression. And we'll never reach perfection. But this is the one that as I have progressed through these things, and as I have tried to be obedient to the things that the Lord has asked of me, this is the one I'm fighting more than anything now. Confession. And then I'll repent of it. Satisfaction. Well, I'm satisfied where I am. I'm a Christian. I've asked God to forgive my sins. And that's enough. I'm satisfied with that. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. I, I, I'm satisfied with where I am. I've reached the age or somewhere in the neighborhood of it, of retirement. And I've struggled with this satisfaction. Meaning, I just want to sit back and enjoy the rest of my days and my grandkids and my wife and family and Just live the American dream, if you would. You see, that satisfaction is not from the Word of God. You see, my satisfaction comes from God Himself. Our true satisfaction comes from knowing that we're doing the things that He's asking us to do. And it really has nothing to do with your age, it has everything to do with the progression. Are you with me? 
You may be retired. Praise God. Nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you're done. I love the words of the song that we sang. As long as I'm, what was it? As long as I'm not dead, I'm not done. That was like, whoa. As long as I'm not dead, I'm not done. Church, we're not done. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in the progression of redemption. All I would say is to you, redemption is an ongoing work in our hearts. And as Paul said, I haven't achieved it yet, and I'm going to keep running the race. I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm not going to be satisfied with what I've done. I'm not going to be satisfied with where I am. I'm not going to be satisfied with the fact that my past is, is long forgotten and people will remember me more as the Apostle Paul and not Saul of Tarsus. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm pressing on to the very end of the race to achieve that which God has called me to. And I hope and pray that each of us would embrace that. I'm not done. I'm not insignificant. I have a God. If there's sin in your life, you need to deal with it. If there's shame in your life, you need to cast it out. And and you need to hear the encouraging words because you have been redeemed. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.